House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. And on the other side, we've got Mr. David North Martino. <laughs> I almost forgot your name. <laughs> I usually forget my name myself. So. Yeah, I was going to call it Rosie, but then I thought <laughs> that's that's not right. I, I remember I'm on good behavior now. <laughs> I've been warned, and I'm on good good behavior, and it's not. And for the listeners, it's not uh, Cocktober this month. It's Peacocktober, right? <laughs> so I've got a, I've got put in line real strong by the management here to stop being mean to Dave and start calling it Peacocktober. Oh, just let it out. Let it out, yeah. Let it so, out. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you, after that rewrite, that last rewrite, I'm ready to let it out. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens. And then I was asked to be on that show, and I still don't yes. know. We don't know what we're going to do here. Because um, I don't it's know exciting. if I'm, yeah, I don't know if I'm capable of writing a thing like that. But Oh, you can do it. Well, I can get you to do you it, do and it. I can say I did it. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're a ghostwriter. Yeah, there you are. You're pretty ghosty. So. Yeah, that's true. Ah, anyway, so now, speaking of writers and mystery and all of that, we've got uh, another uh, writer on today's show. Now, today we've got someone that's never been on before. And the new book is called Shooting Star, and it's a Nikki Latrell mystery, book five. And uh, the guest is the author, uh, Sasser Hill. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Well, um, here we are. Um, shooting star, Nikki. So what is a Nikki Latrell mystery? Um, Nikki Latrell is female jockey. She started out as a female jockey. Now she's had an injury, so she's a little more, less in the saddle than she used to be. Um, but she's she's a little bit, uh, scared about life sometimes. She had a tough childhood. She, her mother died when she was only 13 and left her in the hands of a, a rather evil stepfather from whom she ran away in the middle of the night so that he wouldn't abuse her. And she climbed the um, razor wire fence into Pimlico Racetrack in Baltimore and spent the night in a stall with a horse. And that's how she got started in her career as a jockey. Well, oh, I, I was going to say, so what? Uh, so, so it's called a mystery. So um, what kind of thing does she get into that she has to solve? In this particular book, Shooting Star, they are doing a horse racing movie at Santa Anita Racetrack. And I don't know if you ever watched or recalled, because it was up, it was in the news bit, there was a show called Luck. It was a serial by HBO, and it had, um, I guess, Hoffman and um, some other big stars were in it. But the, the show had to be canceled because horses were dying. And since Nikki knows um, a fellow who works for the real agency, in the United States called the Thoroughbred Racing Protective Bureau. He subcontracts her to come to California, to San Anita, um, to watch over the horses in this movie so that they're not mistreated as they were um, in luck. 
And I was lucky enough to go out to California and meet with the point man um, at Santa Anita who worked with HBO. And he said what they would do is they would send these horses out and film a race. And then the director would say, oh, okay, let's do it again. Take another shoot. And they would do that. And, you know, horses were dying. You can't treat a horse like that. They're not machines. So in this particular uh, book, Nikki's out there to, for that reason. But, of course, in the first chapter, one of the camera crews is murdered by a sniper. And so you, you start off with the murder and... Then there are a number of other things that happen that have to do with um, some serious crime in, in California, and she gets wrapped up in that. And the huh. other thing that happens to Nikki in this particular book that I think is very interesting and made it fun for me to write is that the main female star, who's a young girl about Nikki's age, um, gets in a horrible accident early on in a racing scene. And they're desperate to replace her. And since Nikki's really cute and she's there and she can ride, they just grab her and say, you got to do this. So she ends up becoming, you know, a quote, in quotes, movie star, which she finds absolutely terrifying and a very peculiar lifestyle. So um, there's a number of different levels to this. Sometimes she's not sure, if, you know, if she's acting or if it's real life or, or what's going on. Um, and who these people are that, that are uh, threatening her and lurking in the background. So that's basically um, the premise for the story, I would say. Well, um, so, so Nikki herself, um, who is that character? And, and is that someone that's very close to you? Very close to me. Um, in fact, to the point where... That when I was young, I could never argue with anybody. And whenever somebody confronted me with something, I would just clam up. I couldn't, couldn't speak out for myself. I could speak out for other people. I could yell if somebody was being mistreated, but I, I was incapable of speaking out for myself. I don't know what my problem was. Um, but after I wrote the first Nikki book, I would find myself saying, what would Nikki do? What would she say? And I would get, like, really bold, and I, I would just, a whole new me came out that I'd never known I had. And I thank Nikki Latrell for that. I really do. It's, it's odd how that, that worked. Um, because she was me, but she wasn't me at all. She was braver than me. And, um, and actually a, a slightly better person than I am. So I, I liked to figure out what she would do, and then I would do that. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's how it worked out. No, that's all right. We we get plenty of crazy. That's not crazy. That's um. But so Nikki, in a sense, um, kind of helped you uh, come out, so to speak, at, at, at being stronger about your own convictions in a way. Yes, yes, she did. So, what do you consider Nikki? Like, um, and I say that because um, a, a lot of fiction writers that you know, we speak with, we'll say like their kid, you know, it's like their kids or they describe their characters as family or they have all sorts of unique names like that. How do you describe Nikki for you? She's a friend and I admire her and I'm very concerned about her and I want her to be kept safe. Uh, of course, I'm always sticking her in dangerous situations and then, um, then, I, then I pull her out and that feels good when I pull her out or when she pulls herself out because she's a strong woman. Um, in the first few books in the series, she's, uh, well, there's actually a prequel where she's only 13 years old, and it's right after her mother's 
died and left her in the hands of this would-be pedophile. But that's just a prequel. And the first book in the series, she's um, 23. And in this last book, she's about 32. She's growing up. When you write um, about Nikki and, and you, you, you create her character, do you uh, hear her voice in your mind as you're writing? Or, um, or do you spend uh, more time visualizing uh, uh, what's going on like a movie? Well, um, I would say both. Um, I do see her. I see her on the horse, but I also feel her on the horse because I rode I galloped racehorses for so many years and rode in amateur steeplechase races, so I know what she's feeling when she's riding a race. I know exactly what it's like and how thrilling it is and how scary it is, and I know all the things that can go wrong. Um, you know, they say there's there's a uh, hundred ways to lose a, way, a race, but only one way to win, and uh, it's, it's a very true statement. So... I identify with her, and I, I, I feel her fears, and I, I feel her disappointments, um, because I had plenty when I, I owned and bred racehorses for years, and let me tell you, the highs and lows are like a roller coaster ride. And one minute on your top, you're on top, and the next minute your horse just broke down, and you've got nothing. So it's, it's a crazy world, but I did wow. experience all of it. What brought you into writing this book? Like, what was there some sort of... Um you know, event or some, something that initiated uh, this book? Well, I wrote my first book and finished it in 1994, and it was kind of a romance mystery thing. Um, and I, I got an agent, but he couldn't get it published, and of course he couldn't. It, it belonged in a drawer, which is where it is now. And then I took a class with the Bethesda Writers' Center, and it was mystery, write a mystery book class. So I just thought, well, I'm going to write about a female jockey because I, um, I love all the Dick Francis books, which were from the point of view of a male jockey. Um, and as a child, I loved the Walter Farley Black Stallion books um, with Alex Ramsey and, you know, the black. I mean, that was just, love that stuff. And I always, so I, I love action and adventure and I thought, what better fun thing to write about than a young female jockey? Because it's hard, or it was. It's easier now. It was very hard for female jockeys to find a place um, in in the uh, well, no, in the herd of testosterone-ridden male jockeys. They're very, you know, they're all little guys with. They remind me of little Bantam roosters. I shouldn't say that, but they do. They're very cocky, and they're very bold, and they're very brave, and they, they're, uh, they're fabulous athletes, absolutely fabulous. But back in the day, uh, you know, women were told, people in the crowd would yell at a woman jockey and tell her to go home and cook. I mean, I'm serious, they did. And I know, for instance, at Pimlico, when I wrote that my first book, I spoke to a jockey friend of mine, um, a girl, and she said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. The guys in their locker room, they have a big steam bath, and they have a masseuse that's there all the time to get massages, and, you know, they have whirlpools, and they have this, and they have that. She said, what we have, we have a little stand-up shower stall that has a jet at the bottom that spits out hot water, and it burns your feet, and that's what they had. So... You know, it, it's taken a long time for female jockeys to be accepted. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's in a lot of categories too, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's slow coming in all sorts of areas that uh, we see. Um, so, so in that case, do you have kind of a subtext for this book? Is there like an underground, underground, underlying sort of meaning in it besides the actual mystery? Well, I would say that the theme that runs through a lot of my books is um, fight the odds uh, or fighting the odds because that's what we all do. We're always fighting the odds and um, chasing your dream, chasing your dream and helping the helpless. That's something that Nikki is very good at. She's not good at helping herself, but she's very good at helping other people and looking out for them. And like she's the one who, if she sees a groom take a crop and hit a horse in the head with it, she'll just go right up to him, yank that crop out of his hand, and hit him with it right in the face. I mean, she's done that. So that that's Nikki. I mean, she's she's fierce, even though she's also kind of shy about many things. So I would say that is the subtext. Um, chasing the dream, fighting the odds, helping the helpless, that's what she does. I'm curious, you've also written in other books on um, a character that's like a thoroughbred racing protective bureau agent. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and I was wondering, um, what does that job entail? I've never heard of I've heard of that uh, type of uh, agent before. Well, interestingly enough, most of the people that run that organization um, are former FBI agents. Um, mm. And now I'm, I'm being very stupid, but who was the head of the that started the FBI way back when? Um, what was his name? It wasn't... Uh, Jade or Hoover. Yeah, Hoover. I was going to say it wasn't Hoover, was it? But I thought... Um, he started it, and he holding a lot of people from the FBI and stacked it with, with them. Um, so, And they're still close. Wow. They still talk to each other and um, communicate about things that are... Right now, the, the uh, TRPB, Thoroughbred Racing Protective Bureau, mostly is about um, checking on gambling, making sure people aren't cheating, watching the money, looking for spikes, um, they have a huge computer base. They showed it to me when I went up to Fairhill, Maryland, to interview with them, um, president and the vice president of the TRPD. And they have this computer bank, you wouldn't believe, and they have access to so much information. So um, my characters um, are always calling in to the main office to see, you know, get information. You know, they need to find out about this guy who looks like he's, you know, doing something really weird. So. Um, it's, it's a helpful thing. And the first, with the um, Lingo Road, the first book I wrote about being a key, I called, I sent it up to the president and the vice president, and I made them read it. I said, I want you just to read it and make sure I haven't done anything that's just, like, stupid. Like, <laughs> like you would say, that would never happen. What is she writing this for? And uh, the best email I ever got was just a quick email from the president. He said, you're good to go. And that brought tears to my eyes. It really did. It just brought tears to my eyes. So um, the book was published with St. Martin's Press. Unfortunately, it didn't sell that well. Um, and St. Martin's kind of just hung me up on the wall, and, and they were looking for big books. They were looking for The Girl on the Train, and they were looking for Fifty Shades of Grey. That's what they wanted. Mm. They, in a horse racing book, no matter how well written it was, it didn't matter. 
wasn't selling. But that book did win um, the Ryan Award, um, Dr. Tony Ryan Award, for the best book in horse racing literature. And that came with a $10,000 prize. And I was up against um, Dick Francis' son, Felix, and I knew Felix would win. And they did it like, you know, like the Emmys or something. He stood up on a stage with an envelope and he pulled out this little card and he said, and the winner is, and of course, you know, he lets it hang for long enough to kill yourself sometimes, (laughs) Flamingo Road. And I just cried. I mean, I just wept. I couldn't believe it because I was sure that um, Felix Francis's book, Pulse, or the other gal that was there, I was sure somebody else's book would win this my book wouldn't win. I was sure it wouldn't win. And it did. And it was like wow. such a great moment. It was, And everybody was there, all these big wigs from Kentucky, um, horse racing people. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And I got some great interviews with um, in the winter circle with some of the TVG. That's uh, the main horse racing station, um, TV station in this country. And it was just a lot of fun. It was great. So it was hard work. I got it done, and it paid off. It was nice. Well, and it looks like, okay, so you yourself um, race horses and breed and, and all that yourself. So you have a uh, quite an interest in horses themselves. Um, I, I, so I'd imagine that a lot of your own experience you can put into your story as well because you've done it. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, when you, you know, we bred horses, and I would take the mare, put her in the trailer, haul her upstate, just a stallion, breed her, bring her home. And in the spring, she'd have a fall. If we were lucky, we'd get a live fall with no problems. And sometimes they were, had, she would have difficulty following. And I remember one time I was down on, in the straw pulling. You know, I've got the horse's head and forelegs were out, as they should be but he couldn't get his shoulders over that hump, the pelvic girdle. So I'm like pulling with everything I have, and I get the fall out. And then three years later, after I'd broken the horse and galloped him on the farm and all of that, he's at Pimlico, he's coming down the stretch, he's on the lead, and he wins. And there is nothing as exciting as that, nothing, absolutely nothing in the world. It's so rewarding and just amazing, you know, that you you – you created this horse, and he's a winner, and he's winning money, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. And that's that was uh, those were the highlights. But as I said, it's a roller coaster ride. They're highs and lows, and the highs are great. What, what was it that actually got you to change from being um, a horse breeder into an author? Like, was there some sort of particular thing that happened or was this something that you've always done and just have never just never wanted to publish or what was it that crossed over for you um i would say age and money um resources are very expensive and when you're young and fit i could do everything myself you know i would break all my own yarns i would gallop them but when you get older you can't do that and then you have to start hiring out or hiring people to help and that gets real expensive real fast and I'd always loved to write, and I'd always meant to write um, a novel, and I thought, well, it's time. It's time. So that's what I did. Wow. I, I, I find that quite brave because, in a sense, um, 
to come out and just start writing and to send it out to be published, um, that could be pretty scary. Oh, it's very scary. And But everybody knows that. And I'm so glad I joined Sisters in Crime because that first book I wrote that's in a drawer, I had no idea what I was doing. And I got an agent, and she sat on it for two years, and, you know, all these editors would say, well, let me have an exclusive on that. And then they'd sit on it for a year, and then they'd reject it. And I just thought, well, this is crazy. So then I went to the Bethesda Writer Center to learn how to write properly and to join Sisters in Crime, which taught me everything that I needed to know about how to get published. And, you know, they're so supportive. They're a wonderful group. And I think for the romance writers, uh, if a gal joins Romance Writers of America, she's going to be a lot better off than if she doesn't because they're supportive um, and they do help you. With each one of these books in this series, um, does someone have to read them all or do they all no. kind of self? They all each protect? one because I had a publisher, very small press, but he was good. Um, and he's the one that got me the Agatha and McCavity nominations, best first book for Full Mortality. And he said, write each book as a standalone. Make it a series, but make sure each book can stand alone. And they can. So, no. And I know I've read a lot of books. I'll pick up a book, read it by some author, and I'll love it. And then I'll realize it's a series, and I'll go back and read some of the others. Um, I've done that a lot myself. I, I never really worried about it. Um, if it had to be in order. So. Right. Well, on this one being book five, so do you have your whole, whole like, series of books all kind of planned out? Are you that type of writer that kind of knows what you're going to do and then you sort of create books as you go, or is this sort of just as you do it, you just do it? I think the latter. Uh, I think about, well, for instance, I broke away from horse racing histories, and I wrote a book called Travels of Quinn, which is based on the um, con artists right here in South Carolina known as Irish American Travelers. And they are a really interesting group of people, and they're extremely isolated. They have very strange culture. They take all the children out of school by the eighth grade, if not sooner. The boys travel with the men and do odd jobs, and, and they do a lot of cons. They do pull a lot of cons um, on people and take their money and disappear. You know, they have false ID, false driver's license, false everything. So if they paint the front house half of a house and you pay them, and then they disappear and never come back, you can't find them. They're gone. Whoever you thought you were talking to doesn't exist. So... I thought, what an interesting um, group of people to write about for a murder mystery. So right now, the next book I'm going to write will be the sequel to The Travels of Quinn. Um, and I'm looking forward to writing that. And then I'll probably go back to Nikki or Thea or Nikki and Thea. Who knows? They could be in the same book. Huh. Do, do you ever have problems trying to keep track of, of what your characters are doing? No. Um, so far... Thank God, I don't. And um, and I keep, um, I always do a chapter by chapter, you know, just like a, one sentence. Chapter one, what happens there? Chapter two, what happens there? And then I have a, a file called characters for the Nikki Luttrell books and the characters that are in the Fiona McKee books and the characters that are in 
the Quinn O'Neill books, and I always go back to them. And like one of the characters in the Quinn O'Neill books is is a Brit who came over. So I studied a lot of their, um, you know, the way they say things and the kind of words they use. And so I have him speak like a Brit would speak. And uh, it, it, it's fun, you know, but it's harder work, but it makes a better book. It makes a much better book. I'm wondering, has a character, Nikki or anyone else, have they ever done anything to surprise you during the course of, of writing a book? Well, Nikki did something terrible in um, Racing from Death. Um, she had a friend, and you're going to laugh, her name is Lorna Dune. But, um, and she was much younger, and they went down to Virginia to run a meet together. She, she took courses down there for her trainer. And it was a very weird place, and a lot of strange things happened. But one of the things that happened is this really cute, sexy young guy. Lorna was only like 18, and he just zeroed in on Lorna like a you know heat-seeking magnet. And she fell for him so bad, and you know he was giving her drugs, and it was not a good scene. But the problem was, and a lot of people didn't like this, is that he would look at Nikki. And he would stare at her, and she would see him, and she would be, she would feel his heat, and she almost um, cheated on Lorna. It was really close, but the last second she thought, "What the hell am I doing?" And she stopped. And that's, you know, people thought, "Well, she should be a better person than that. Why would she do that? I don't like that about the character." And I thought, "But that's how people are. They do things like that. They get carried away. They, they, they do what they shouldn't do." And they regret it, and then they then they try to redeem themselves. So, I also think that makes for a better book. I, you know, like I loved Mary Higgins Clark, but her characters were always so perfect. They were such mm. perfect young women. Everything about them was right. And I just can't write about perfect young women because there aren't that many perfect young women. <laughs> Oh, there, there you have it. Um, now, now you're supporting characters. Um, where do they come from for you? Are you, um, you know, uh, out at coffee shops looking to meet people, or is it someone you've seen in a in a line in a supermarket? Or no, it's friends? people I've met and know, and like some of the people that work at the track, the grooms that work there. Um, I've seen the life that they lead. I've seen how they talk. I see. I know what it's like to sit in what they call the receiving barn, which is the barn at any racetrack that receives horses that are just coming in for the day. And you have to sit there for hours with your horse. Um, and I would hear the things that they would say and the jokes that they would tell. And so you pick up a lot of fun, interesting characters that way. And um, one of the main characters in my book, his name is um, Mello, and he's modeled after a, a really kind, decent, wonderful black man I knew as a child. He lived on the farm, my father's farm, and he had Belgian workhorses. And I wanted a pony more than anything in the world, but I wasn't allowed to have one because I, it, I would get hurt, right? That's what my father thought. So what would I do? I would go out to the stable, and I would climb up the wooden slats, and I would get on the back of one of those great big Belgian plow horses, and I'd tie anything I could find, failing to find anything to, to the halter, and back him out of the stall, and turn him around, and off we'd go. And Lloyd, he knew I was doing this, but he never said anything. 
he was so kind and he knew that I, that I could ride and that I was kind of his horses and I would just get them out and exercise them. So I brought him into, um, two of the Nikki books. He's a major character. Um, and he, uh, he has sort of a sixth sense. He, you know, he knows things. He sees things. He's a little bit of a mystic type, which just, but just enough to make it interesting, not enough to make you think, oh, for God's sake, what are we, <laughs> what is this, you know? So, um, and, and I, I really, that man had played a huge role in my life. Um, I remember when I was a little tiny kid, I went over to his house and they were getting ready to chop a chicken, chicken's head off. And I looked at him and I said, oh, don't talk. You can't do that. Don't chop that head off. And he looked at me and he very seriously said, you want me to chop your head off? And I said, no. He said, well, I'm going to chop this head off. I mean, he's just a sensible man. And he, he lived there. My mother sold, uh, didn't sell the farm after my father died, but she rented it out. And there were all these weird people that would rent the place. And Lloyd watched over it. He stayed there, and then for years and years and years, he lived there and watched over that farm because he was born there. And my husband and I got married in 1979, and when we got back from our honeymoon, Lloyd was there. He went out the next morning. He chopped wood. He had a stroke and died. And I, it just, it was like he was ready to go because the, the landowners had returned home, the, you know, the family had returned to look over Pleasant Hill. So um, it was, I've never forgotten that. You know, it's just one of those things that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck anyway. Now, if if um, someone was listening and they've never heard of you before and they were to buy one book, which book would you recommend for them? I would start out with Full Mortality because it is the first book in the series. Um, and they can pick up the prequel because that's just a novella. And the prequel is, as an ebook, it's free. Um, but it's a short novella and it goes back to Nikki's when she was only 13 and what happened to her sort of gives you her origin, if you will. Um, but all the books are good. What can I say? They're all good. So, But I mean, if you want to kind of read them in order, I would read. The prequel, you can pick up a free copy, which is great, and then you can read um, Full Mortality. After writing fiction, um, do you have a, a way to uh, relax and recharge? Uh, yeah, I, I drink a bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> In fact, I was wondering if you guys were, were doing, um, since we have a Martino, I was wondering if you were doing... Um, Serving up martinis this afternoon. Well, he yes. does. <laughs> <laughs> Quite often. These old fashions, you know. Virtual martinis. Just send it right <laughs> on over. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes to write. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you how that turns out. Um, <laughs> and it's sober. Yeah. It's terrible. So uh, how long does it take you to do one of these uh books in the series? Much longer than all these gals that are writing a book a year. I don't know how they do it. Um, yeah. it, it takes me the shortest amount of time it ever took me to write a book, and that was Flamingo Road, which is a full-length book, about a year and two months from start to finish. 
Wow. What, what, do you, what do you think is the longest part of that? Is it the actual research of, of, of getting your characters right, like when you were talking about the British guy with the accent and the wording? or What, what seems to be the longest part? Well, there's a lot of research involved, but the longest part is just sitting in the chair and writing and then reading what you wrote and editing it. And I use that, like, the next time it's time to read, I write me, I mean, I read what I had just written before and I give it little tweaks and then I can keep on going. Um, so that's that's how I do it anyway. Huh. Are you able to sit down and sort of plot it out like as in, um, because you work your day out and you kind of go, okay, between 11 and 3, I can, I have time, I can write. No, I don't do that. I have yeah. all day to write, and I write as much as I can before I get just too tired and my brain gets, you know, stalls. Before you start drinking the bourbon. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, that, that might be right. You might be right. You could be right. <laughs> You know, I was going to say, and those those ladies that can write a book a year—that's because they're they're sit down at nine to five and work. Yeah. I don't know how how you can do that. Some people can just turn well, it on and do it. But some of those books aren't that good. No, yeah, well, a lot of them aren't. But I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not my you know career. I'm not a reviewer. You're a supporter. But. I am. I just want to get it out not there. Not a disclaimer. You're not. Yeah. Defamer. You know, if if I can't say something good, I just sort of. Don't say it, you know, because um, I'm not the ultimate choice, right, or decision in these things. I just, you know, just pass on what you, what you like, and the rest goes on. So, you know, wow. Um, now, do you yourself, like, if you like interacting with uh, readers and, and having conversations with them and stuff like that, do you do social media a lot? Or? Oh, God, yes, I do social media a lot, and I love it when I hear from my readers. I'm big on Facebook. I need to get back on Instagram and do a little more there. Um, but I have people on Facebook all the time that say, oh, I just started such and such, and I absolutely love it. And then I'm thinking, well, can't you, like, do a review? It's so hard to get people to do reviews. Um, and I, I yeah. need to learn how to get more of that done. You know, some of these gals, they have, they have like, 500 reviews, and I'm thinking, did they pay for them, or what What did they do? I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. In, in a case like that, it's a combination. Like uh, Some people are just really good at working it and getting the reviews done, but quite a bit of it is done from, you know, the net galley and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, where the certain publishers belong to different groups like NetGalley, and they um, uh, give away books, and their people write reviews for them. And it's kind of like a group. So uh, a lot of them go through that, I've noticed, um, and that works. And one of my publishers did that with me. And, um, you know, it's kind of good and it's kind of – but it, it doesn't mean the book sold any better because it didn't. No, no. <laughs> just, just as they have an organized review system. So it's not really paying for it because they're not paying. And some of those people that give you the, give the reviews from Matt Kelly – are not nice. No. <laughs> so it's not like it's you're getting, you know, pay for good review. We'll give you five stars and that. No, it, it isn't like that at all. But you know. that's what amazes me about um, Shooting Star. It's only got 31 reviews, but they're all stellar. I mean, every single one of them, except for maybe one, is a five-star review with high praise. So. Yeah. Well, that's better. I'd ra you know, I'd rather have fewer reviews of people that really like it than the ones that are crabbing. And, and that one person that gave you a not stellar review, 
Um, did you hunt them down? No. No, we call them trolls. They're, they're, they are. They just like, they just like to, to take people down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you're going to get that no matter what. Oh yeah. I have I have books that have come out, and just on the launch day, people will just put one star. Oh god. And it's kind of like, well, you couldn't even have read it yet, or you don't even exactly. Uh, so after a while, you start to realize, well, you know, it is what it is. Leave, just leave it, you know, whatever. And you know, I've only killed three or four people, and then after that, <laughs> you know, well, it's good when you write true crime; it helps. Yeah, I've, I've few, killed few a few actually. people with my books for sure. A few rotten trainers, the kind of trainers that'll give horses drugs so they'll run because they can't feel the pain even when they're injured. Wow! So you go, you just go after them. I don't blame you. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know. Um, it's, it's frustrating for me. You know, I, I myself have a three-acre place, but I take in old dogs. Everyone knows that the old rescues, the ones that go to the pound that nobody will take, right, because they're five or plus. And so I've always got lots of old dogs around here. And um, I just don't get the way I've heard. I get so many that have in such bad condition that have such bad lives, and I do not get people that uh, – can treat animals like that, mm-hmm. and that's the same as with the dog or the racehorses, yeah. because you know it's all about winning, you know, and and shooting them up with drugs, and it doesn't matter about their life or quality of life; it just matters about money winning. and fame for them, you winning. know. And it's just crazy, yeah. Winning. And I don't get that because it really means nothing well, in a sense. Fortunately, you know, there are many wonderful, good trainers that just live and breathe for, for their horses. And they all know these. I mean, if you know anything about horse racing, you know that a happy horse is a winning horse, and you can keep them happy. My trainer used to do. I remember when we were down in Virginia, we went around with buckets and handpicked clover because my mare was nervous that was racing, and we handpicked globs of clover, and she would eat that. You know, she really get her legumes that way, and um, that's the kind of thing that. A good trainer will do. You know, you take that extra step, make sure that they're, if they're nervous, that you can do things to keep them from being nervous, or at least get them eating. She was a lovely mare. She was, um, won a lot of money for me on the turf down in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. You know, I think that um, it's developing a relationship with them, and uh, I think that makes it all better. But... I don't know. I've never, I never actually rode a horse. So you didn't? No, no. I was, I was taken out, and I know people that do ride horses, and and I thought, <laughs> don't attack me, but I kind of thought, well, that's kind of mean, isn't it? And <laughs> of course, the cowboys told me no. Uh, but I just didn't. I just didn't, didn't. I had no desire to get on a horse and ride it. And I'm sure it's a wonderful experience because there's people that love it, you know, and yeah. do it. And and it's good for, for, for everybody and horses. Well, it's good for the horses. I um, yeah. I, I did a lot of fox hunting when I was younger, and, and I had a horse that was kept by some friends of mine in, in their barn. And they, my husband had been in a fire. He was in the hospital. I was in the hospital with him. And the hunt came to that farm that day, and everybody unloaded their trailers and the hounds came out of the truck, you know, bang, wagging their tails. And people told me that my horse just about beat the barn down trying to get out because he wanted to go with them. He was furious <laughs> that he didn't get to go. And, I mean, that's that's tells you a lot. Tells oh, you yeah. a lot. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I was just, I'm just, I was just a weird kid. So <laughs> get a hold and interact with you. Do, do you do a website as well? Or oh, yeah, I have a Facebook? website, sasserhill.com. It's pretty easy to find. As long okay. as I remember how to spell Sasser. Right. Of course. That's the tricky part. And, and what we'll do is we'll put that on our website so people, um, Listening can do one click, and they'll get taken right to your website, and then they can um, interact, see what else you've got up for sale and what you've got going on and things like that. And uh, how was now this book here? It um, it just came out here in July. You must have been going through the last process, the editing and the last part of the writing through some of this COVID and all the weird stuff going on in the world. Yeah. Um, how did that affect your writing? Well, the main thing, COVID was nothing for me because I was in chemo from October of last, a year ago until March, and that was really hard. Um, and then, believe it or not, in May, I got sepsis and I almost died. So, and then I got the book out. It's, I don't even know how I did it. I don't know how I did it. But sepsis, I mean, uh, COVID was the least of my worries when you're doing chemo treatment. I mean, harsh chemo treatment. The last thing you care about is COVID. So um, the thing that was good about COVID is people were buying books. They were really buying books because they were stuck at home and they wanted something to read. So that was very helpful to, to authors in that sense. And COVID didn't, even if, um, well, because the COVID was around for quite a while before I was in chemo. It started the previous February. And I wrote the book all summer, that summer, before I found out that I had to go into chemo. So um, I found COVID helpful. You couldn't go anywhere, so what are you going to do? You're going to stay home and write. Yeah. Well, so when you're stressed, because this is kind of what I link to COVID, is, and I ask it, is because when there's a major stress going on in the world around you or outside your door, right, there's all this commotion. Uh, but even with yourself going through chemo, um, the stress and the, um, you know, pain or suffering and all the extra anxiety that comes with it, does does that seep into your writing itself? No, it didn't at all for um, the shooting star. Um, because when you're writing, you go into a different zone, and it's an escape. Anyway, it's a great place to escape to when you're writing. It's like when you read a good book, it's an escape. So I found it easier than I would have thought to focus on writing a book. Yeah, yeah. So what what are your plans now? Are you going to – what's next coming up? Are you going to do another one? I'm going to do another Quinn O'Neill book, The uh, Irish-American Traveler Girl, um, who was born into the society but wanted to get out, and that was very difficult um, because they're so insular and – if you leave, you're ostracized. You can never talk to a family member again. So it was a hard choice, and a lot of things happened before she got out. But um, and, and the interesting thing about her is that she has been told that her mother abandoned her when she was two, that her mother just ran away from the um, village where all these con artists, Irish-American colleagues, um lived and now at the end of the first book a lot of things happen her life gets better and she realizes her goal she wants to find her mother 
So that's going to be um, the second book. And, of course, that will be rife with all kinds of danger and problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds like Scientology. You can't get out of it. They don't talk to you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just like, holy cow. Um, there, there you have it. And, and have you ever had writer's block? No, I just have procrastination um, disease, which is quite different from writer's block. It's just like, oh, I could do the laundry first. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I have to put the laundry away. Yeah. Yeah. I should take the dog for a walk, you know, because I have a big dog. And so it's easy yeah. to find. And, and all writers will tell you this. If they'll end up doing the laundry or ironing or anything rather than sit down and write that book. It's just hmm. major procrastination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a way of avoiding facing the, the computer, you know. Yeah, the blank page. Yeah. yeah, the blank page. Do you take inspiration from any other writers? Do you are you that type of a writer that you you kind of look at other writers and go, I like this. Very much so. I mean, I started out, of course, loving the Walter Farley black sailing books, and then I loved Dick Francis, and now I love writers like Michael Connelly, Robert Craze. Um, there's a new guy, well, he was new to me, um, Petrie, like a Petrie dish is his last name. I think it's Nick Petrie. He's written some wonderful books. I love his books. And then there's a gal that started writing. Her name is um, Linda, I think it's Castillo. It's a, it's a uh, Latino-sounding last name, but she writes about the Amish people. And I thought, well, maybe that would be boring. But no, she's a great writer, and her books, for me, are riveting. I just love them. So she's a good uh, person for me to follow. And another writer I always liked a lot was George Pelicanos. He's rough, um, but I love the way his dialogues and the way people, the way people interact with each other um, and the way they talk. I, I learned a lot from him. So, yeah, I do get inspired by other people, no question. And, of course, my books. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> just that you didn't catch on there, but that's all right. Michael Connolly, we're getting him uh, on the show. Are you? Oh, yeah, you. that's yeah. great. He's a great guy. I've never read his books. You haven't? They're really good. No. And you know who else is a really nice person is Lee Child. He does mm. help people. Um, mm. And his, you know, now his brother, who was Andrew Grant, is now Andrew Child. He's writing books with Lee Child. And both of them are the nicest people you could ever talk to. They're just totally down to earth, and they have a sense of humor. They're fun. Yeah. It's nice when they're that way. Yeah. It's nice when you can have a good conversation with someone, and they're not taking themselves all too seriously, you know? Yeah, like they are God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, – Dave does that. He, uh, <laughs> Is that before or after the martinis? Yeah, that's all the time. Yeah, he's just louder when he said the martinis. He's just, he lets everyone know. You know, before it's a little bit quieter. It's just, you know, people close to him. But, you know, be careful with that one. Well, it's, it's certainly been a great show. Um, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking a little bit about writing and, and about your books and stuff. And uh, it's always interesting to talk to writers. Yeah, um, I am very, very grateful to have been here. I enjoy talking to you. It's fun. Ben, 
Fantastic. Now, now the book, of course, we are talking about and we'll have on our website is Shooting Star, and it's a Nikki Latrell mystery, and it's book five. Right. And it's uh, written by Saucer Hill, and that is our um, guest. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Saucer. Bye. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.